is who ultimately Jim Psaki, you know Eric Holder. There, there have been instances where we had to pierce the, the attorney-client privilege, but that's something that happens only in, in rare instances. And the ultimate question there is who made the determination to tell federal authorities that all the documents that had been in the possession of the, uh, the former president had actually been turned over? Is that something that the lawyers came up with, or is that something that lawyers said at the direction of the former president? That's yeah. why you want to put um, Evan Corcoran in the grand jury. That's why you want to question him. And what kind? What could they learn from this? You're not in it, but what kind of information could come out of their conversation? Well, you could learn the answer to the ultimate question. You know, if the ultimate answer from, and I'm just this is just hypothetical now. If Donald <laughs> Trump told Evan Corcoran, I, "There are no other documents. I want you to tell federal authorities that there are no other documents," and Evan Corcoran tells the young woman who actually actually you know put that letter together, uh, then there is criminal liability on the part of the uh, of the former president. And so if I'm Jack Smith, I want to know the answer to that question. That could be the question. Now, I wanted to bring up, uh, I share your mutual obsession with the Wisconsin State Supreme Court race, which is coming up early next month. If people haven't heard of it, right. they should pay attention. To me, it's the most important race happening this year. So tell us a little bit about the impact of that, the importance, and what the outcome could mean. I think it's the most important race in uh, 2023. Agree. Uh, yeah, well, I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Wisconsin has probably now the most gerrymandered um, state legislature in the country. It's a 50-50 state. Um, Democrats have only about 35% of the state legislature, and that's strictly as a result of the way in which the lines were drawn. It's unbelievably um, gerrymandered. The Supreme Court in um, Wisconsin would have the opportunity do that. The lawsuit were brought, to decide whether or not those lines as drawn were consistent with the Constitution of Wisconsin. But beyond that, there are reproductive, um, uh, um, there's a reproductive component to this case as well. There's an 1849 statute mm -hmm. from Wisconsin that bars uh, abortion in, in, all, uh, in all instances. And the Supreme Court of Wisconsin is going to have to make a determination about whether or not that is um, constitutional. This race will decide whether or not you have a pro-progressive uh, Supreme Court or a pro-conservative um, Supreme Court. It's four to three now in favor of the conservatives. If uh, Judge Janet Protasiewicz wins, it would be four to three for progressives. That sounds pretty significant. It's extremely Come significant. On, and how man. quickly could that all happen? Because redistricting, any, any chances of new it's maps go would have to happen pretty quickly before 2024. Yeah. How quickly Fuck could they do something on abortion rights in Wisconsin should she win? Well, the case about the 1849 statute is actually in the courts now, and that will be decided by the Supreme Court, I think, in a matter of months. Uh, were there a lawsuit to be brought to say, we need to be about the process of redistricting, you could do that probably in the course of nine or 12 months, certainly well before um, 2024. So that race is extremely important in an extremely important state. Wisconsin is a, is a swing state. Yes, it definitely is. An evergreen one. Well, April 4th, we'll all be watching. Uh, we'll get updates from you, maybe. Attorney General Eric Holder, thank you so much for joining me and helping me answer a lot of the questions I've had about all these legal cases. Thank you. Right. Jim Jordan leads hearing targeting government suppression of free speech on Twitter. Two weeks ago. Breaking special counsel scores. Unprecedented win over Trump in court. One hour ago. Hi, everyone. Mark Barton here. Let's say the promise. On December 14th, 2012, my seven year You're watching the legal breakdown. So, Glenn, we've got a big, unprecedented win for Jack Smith over Mike Pence here. What happened and how big is this for the special counsel? 
Yeah. So the, the newly sworn in chief judge of federal district court in Washington, D.C., Judge Boesberg, just ruled that Mike Pence must go into the grand jury that's investigating the crimes of Donald Trump and testify about, in a very real sense, testify against Donald Trump. And given that Mike Pence has some of the most directly incriminating information and evidence, not only about Donald Trump's conduct, Donald Trump's criminal intent, this is a pretty significant blow to the Trump camp. Pence tried to claim that he was protected from testifying because of the speech and debate clause. You and I have spoken about that. That was as big a stretch as you could find, considering uh, the speech and debate clause is meant to protect legislators who are debating over actual legislation. Pence has a ceremonial role or had a ceremonial role as the president of the Senate. Um, the chief judge ruled that while Pence does have some limited protections, that immunity doesn't prevent him from testifying about conversations related to the illegal uh, activity on Trump's part. So what part of this did Pence win? So this is really interesting. Now, of course, we don't have the judge's ruling yet. It has not been made public because it's a grand jury matter. It will remain secret until there's some reason for the judge to issue it publicly. So you know, there are some good investigative journalists at work sort of talking to sources. And I don't know if it's so much that Pence won anything. I actually read this as Judge Boesberg doing the really smart thing. And here's why. So what Boesberg reportedly ruled is that Pence has to testify about all of Donald Trump's criminal activity, his statements, his attempt to um, to pressure Pence into basically corruptly throwing him the election on January 6th. But it looks like the judge said, but you know what? With respect to what you actually did on January 6th, when you were presiding over the Senate for purposes of counting the electoral college votes, you don't have to testify about that. And we don't yet know if Judge Boesberg entered that ruling, that very limited protection of Pence because he thinks the speech or debate clause might apply. This is uncharted water. Yeah. So it, it feels to me like the judge was sidestepping that issue, was saying, you know what? Everybody knows what Mike Pence did on January 6th. For gosh sakes, it's on tape, right? We saw him during the Capitol attack fleeing the Capitol. It's not really that important for him to testify about what he did on January 6th. So... Boesberg by saying, you know what, uh, former Vice President Pence, you don't have to testify about that. It's essentially taking away an issue that Pence could otherwise appeal, right. maybe all the way up to the Supreme Court. He basically kind of mooted it out, took it off the table and said, OK, Mike, you don't have to testify about that. But what you do have to testify about is all of Donald Trump's crimes and his pressure campaign on you. And frankly, that's the meat of the incriminating evidence that Jack Smith wants and needs. So if you call it a partial victory for Pence, it's a really hollow partial victory. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that was going to be my next question, is what in the not illegal part would the grand jury or would prosecutors be interested in? I mean, isn't the only part that's actually interesting for the investigators the part where the illegality was at play here? I mean, like... Precisely. It's the part that is certainly most important to any criminal charges that are going to be brought against Donald Trump. But you can imagine the grand jurors would probably be keenly interested in having Mike Pence recount what he, you know, what he had to endure on January 6th. 
at the Capitol. I mean, we have all seen now right. that once Donald Trump tweeted out, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what he needed to do. We saw the time-lapsed photography at that moment because at that moment is when Donald Trump's angry mob stormed the Capitol. Talk about cause and effect. I think the grand jury would love to hear from Mike Pence's perspective what in the world he went through, but I don't think that is necessary for purposes of, of collecting up all of the incriminating information about Donald Trump. And by the way, that's why those January 6th committee hearings were so important, because even though uh, we won't have any insight into that stuff, uh, if it is protected under speech and debate, we already know because we watched these primetime hearings where we basically had a minute-by-minute -minute recount of, of what was happening thanks to, thanks to Trump's incitements to violence. Uh, Glenn, what specifically can Mike Pence give to Jack Smith here that could hurt Donald Trump? So, you know, the two things that any prosecutor has to prove if you're going to charge somebody with a crime is that there was a criminal act and there was criminal intent. The beauty of Mike Pence being compelled to testify in the grand jury is he can provide direct evidence of both. There were a number of one-on-one -on -one meetings that, frankly, I don't think we've heard any evidence of between Donald Trump and Mike Pence. We've heard a smattering of it, some of the names Donald Trump was calling Mike Pence because, you know, he wouldn't do Trump's cor corrupt bidding, trying to, you know, withhold or retain the power of the presidency unlawfully and unconstitutionally. But what's going to be most important in a future trial is for Mike Pence to be sitting on a witness stand, placed under oath and asked about what Donald Trump said to you about how you should refuse to certify the results of Joe Biden's win. You should block those results or you should delay those results so you could kick it back to the states and Donald Trump's uh, other nefarious plan can be put in place. So all of this coming out of the mouth of Mike Pence when he can say, Donald Trump told me to do X, Y, and Z, you know, you're providing powerful evidence, sharply incriminating evidence of both Donald Trump, Trump's conduct and Donald Trump's intent. You know, Jack Smith uh, issued the subpoena to Mike Pence in February. Pence has vowed to fight it. He said, quote, no vice president has ever been subject to a subpoena to testify about the president with whom they served. How does someone like Mike Pence or these other Republicans more broadly, these Trump world officials, how do they not get that pointing to the unprecedentedness of all of this is not like the argument that they think it is, considering no president has ever done committed a crime that, that has caused them to need to investigate this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, dude, it's unprecedented. Guess what else is unprecedented? The fucking crime that led to this. Yeah, the fact that they keep pulling that out of their, let's go with hat, and, and yeah. say, well, it's so unprecedented. That should be, that should land to the listener as a condemnation of Donald Trump. Right unprecedented that you have to have a vice president testify in a grand jury about the democracy busting crimes of a president of the United States because no other president of the United States would ever dream of doing what Donald Trump did. So, yes, unprecedented every time they use that word, you should hear that as a condemnation of Donald Trump. Perfectly put. You know, Pence is about as close to Donald Trump as you can get. He served as his vice president. Does this signal that this case is nearing... Every time you hear
Okay. Mm. Hashtag Glenn Kirshner, top prosecutor. Hashtag Glenn Kirshner. Uh, makes history what? Finally what? Okay. Uh, since Christo. And since we're kind of at the top of the food chain here, I don't know if these investigations will ever, you know, approach, you know, the end. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like we've been waiting for justice forever. I am not prepared to say that just because, you know, Mike Pence you know, one of the most important incriminating witnesses against Donald Trump has now been ordered to testify that we're near the end game and we're going to see indictments in the coming weeks. Um, now, don't forget, Mike Pence is going to have an opportunity to appeal this. We'll it's see if he does or not. So look at what the appellate court has done recently, right? In, in other litigation, when issues were appealed, they gave Donald Trump six hours until midnight to file his complaints, and then they gave Jack Smith until 6 a.m., six hours later, and then that day they resolved the issue and they resolved it against Donald Trump, ordering a whole bunch of other officials to testify. So I think that mm -hmm. bodes well, because it looks like maybe, maybe the federal judiciary is done letting Donald Trump and his lackeys weaponize the delay that is ordinarily built in to the appellate process. You know what? Mike Pence wants to appeal it. Let him appeal it. The appellate court will reject his claim, and I predict the Supreme Court won't even want to hear his claim. So I feel like even if we're not nearing the end game, we are at least accelerating. Now, I know that Pence has the opportunity to appeal if he wants to. Can Donald Trump opportunity to appeal lie. this decision on Pence's behalf because it's regarding him? In life for Here's the, the poop. Seriously, if someone's colon is clogged and they have constipation uh, and it's been two, three, or even ten days without really this decision on Pence's behalf because it's regarding him. So Brian, you may have just stumped the lawyer. That could be our <laughs> new uh, new segment here in the legal breakdown. Stump the lawyer. I think you <laughs> succeeded. All right. So there's this thing called standing, right? If you don't have standing, which loosely translated means, do you have a dog in the legal fight? If you don't have standing, then ordinarily you can't appeal. But, you know, because these are unprecedented, let's listen, let's hear that as, you know, Donald Trump is at fault here. Because these are unprecedented circumstances, it may very well be that when Judge Boasberg rejected Donald Trump's executive privilege claim, trying to, you know, keep a lid on Mike Pence's testimony, it may very well be that he could file an appeal. It wouldn't shock me if the appellate court was willing to listen to that appeal, but then reject it promptly. Because really, the whole executive privilege game that Donald Trump has been playing was resolved back in 1974 in Richard Nixon Watergate days, when they said, you know, executive privilege will yield when you are in the grand jury, criminally investigating the potential crimes of a president. You know, that is not what executive privilege was designed to hide, to bury, to secrete. Yeah. 
Uh, let's finish off with this on the Pence stuff, and that is that can Pence still invoke the Fifth to keep from having to testify if and when he ultimately does have to go in to testify? That's a great question because it looks like um, Jack Smith is winning battle after battle after battle. He won the executive privilege battle. He kind of sidestepped the speech or debate clause battle, but in substance, he won because he's going to get all the testimony out of Pence that he needs. However, Mike Pence can still walk into the grand jury, and if Mike Pence's truthful testimony would incriminate him, would make it seem like he committed a crime, he can absolutely plead the fifth. He can invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Then the game gets even more interesting because then Jack Smith has a couple of options. One, if Mike Pence Charge doesn't him as actually have a viable Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, maybe he's just trying to throw it up to stonewall Jack Smith. Well, then they can go Obstruction. right back Chief Judge Boesberg and they can litigate whether Mike Pence has a valid Fifth Amendment privilege to invoke. I have had judges, not infrequently, rule that a witness who tried to plead the fifth really didn't have a fifth to plead, so they could be ordered to testify. But let's assume Mike Pence did commit a whole bunch of crimes in concert with Donald Trump. He would have a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination under those circumstances. And Jack Smith can immunize him because immunity extinguishes your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because the government cannot use your statements against you. So he could give him immunity, compel him to testify, and then that would make it very, very difficult for Jack Smith ever to prosecute Mike Pence for any crimes he may have committed after you immunize him. But here is the other thing Jack Smith could do. If Mike Pence pleads the fifth, and it is a well-placed fifth because Mike Pence committed crimes, Jack Smith could charge him as a co-defendant and then uh -huh. seek to, to flip him against Donald Trump. So, you know, the game is clearly still afoot. There's yeah. still a lot of tactical maneuvering that needs to go on. And it's anybody's guess as to whether Mike Pence finally gives up the ghost, testifies about Donald Trump's crimes, or continues to pull out all the stops. And in a very real sense, continues to try to hide the evidence of Donald Trump's crimes. Okay, I want to switch over to the Manhattan DA case just for a quick moment. And that is just to ask, what do you imagine the deal is right now? Because I know that our thoughts on this case were colored by the fact that Trump uh, posted on Truth Social that his arrest was imminent, that it was coming last Tuesday, that obviously didn't happen. So what would you explain the wait is if the grand jury is meeting, which reporting suggests that they are? So now it's becoming a little bit of a head-scratcher, Brian, because once we learned that the district attorney had invited Donald Trump to testify, that's usually the last base we prosecutors touch in a grand jury investigation before we ask the grand jury to vote on charges to return an indictment. I thought that was a sure sign that they were at the end game. They also put Michael Cohen before the grand jury at about the same time, probably the single most important witness. I, we were all kind of feeling like, okay, it looks like the, you know, Alvin Bragg, the New York district attorney is wrapping things up. We could see an indictment soon. But what did we just see? We saw another witness go before the grand jury, a guy named David Pecker, the, the head of the uh, National Inquirer tabloid magazine, the guy who was involved in these catch-and-kill operations anytime you know, somebody was about to expose Donald Trump's you know, misconduct. Um, David Pecker from the National Enquirer would, would catch the story, 
would pay off the Cover person, it up. you know, to, to have an exclusive, in other words, to kill the story, to bury the story. And we learned that David Pecker was the one who introduced Stormy Daniels' uh, lawyers, Stormy Daniels' team, to Michael Cohen, which then resulted in the illegal hush money payment that Bragg has been investigating. Um, why David Pecker just went into the grand jury when we have all known literally for years that David Pecker played this pivotal role in the Stormy Daniels saga, that leaves me, that leaves me scratching my head thinking, okay, at what stage of the investigation is Alvin Bragg right now? So I just think we all have to sit back. We have to let Alvin Bragg do his thing. And you know what? The indictment will come when the indictment will come, when the indictment comes. Boy, sitting back and remaining patient as Donald Trump threatens Alvin Bragg, saying things like, there will be death and destruction if I'm indicted, and posting a picture with, you know, Donald Trump appearing to, to swing a baseball bat right at Alvin Bragg in, you know, the, the adjacent picture. You know, these things are dangerous. These things are criminal. That constitutes the crime of interfering with a government official by trying to intimidate him in his official duties. It's hard to sit back and wait, but at this point, I think that's all we can do. Yeah, and I think the irony of this is that we are kind of seeing the consequence of this very delayed justice in real time. Because the only reason that Donald Trump is so emboldened to continue attacking Alvin Bragg and trying to intimidate him and, and intimidate other law enforcement officials is because nothing is happening. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle where nothing happens, and then Trump gets emboldened to do it more, and, uh, and uh, you know... Uh, and, and we continue not to see him uh, held to account for what he's done, and, and on and on it goes. So, with that said, we will hopefully see something soon, and as soon as something Jeez. does break, we'll continue to cover it here. So, if you want to keep up with legal news, make sure to follow both of our channels. The links are right here on the screen. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen. And I'm Glenn Kershaw. The You're watching the legal Department. Is. You have these woke revolutions. It requires all oh, of us off. at some point to say no. It's not civil going to do rights. This. Yes, we are going to do civil rights progress, man. The legal breakdown. Okay, that was pretty good. Uh
Treason, treason with treason terrorism charges. DRE forty five. Okay, so, great. <clears throat> Let's see what other lovely stuff is out there. I saw something from Christo about finally something or other. Ah, Christo. Jared Kushner found dead in his home. <laughs> Trump arrest. Rally fails. <laughs> Trump held New York rally tonight. Only two people came. <laughs> Melania Trump officially files for divorce. Oh man. Let's check out the um мне надоело, что кремлевский режим шантажирует весь мир тем, что у него есть энергоресурсы. Поэтому я объявляю войну лично Кремлю. Я даю каждому желающему but it's connected to three pieces of news, really two and a half, let's say. Trump not only being rejected yet again by his favorite news source, but him growing increasingly afraid of the breaking news, which is that his former vice president, the man who his supporters tried to hang, cannot get out of testifying before the DOJ because his arguments have failed, and that will certainly put a target right on Trump. Let's start with Fox, though. Uh, Jason, you said overall you thought President Trump did a very poor job in the interview. Why? Um, I thought Sean Hannity did a good job, um, but I watched that and I thought, where is Donald Trump? I, I voted for Donald Trump twice. I have defended him countless times. I thought he was horrific. I think that was the worst interview I've seen the president do. He was whining. He was complaining. Um, he played the victim card time and time again. Um, and then after that, he complained that, you know, somebody had endorsed was now running against him. And I, I, I thought he was absolutely horrific. He's the former president of the United States. Act like it. He didn't in that interview. So you can see Hannity tried to give him the softball of softball interviews. But, uh, you know, Fox contributors, and that's a former congressman, made it clear that it was one of Trump's worst interviews ever. And I, I tend to agree. I mean, on the one hand, it was pretty standard Trump. But given the venue, given the opportunity he needed to seize to change the narrative on his falling political fortunes, 
and his growing legal troubles, he utterly failed. Like, Hannity set up a softball interview. He set it up, he threw him the perfect pitch to hit, and he swung and he missed, and then when swinging and missed, the bat went and hit him right in the groin at the same time. It was just total embarrassment for Trump. Total embarrassment. At a moment where he could have seized it. So he's already on edge, and his supporters see that. And whether or not they agree with the fact that Trump looked terrible, they get nervous when they see formally sources that used to praise Trump unequivocally turn against him, show that the tide is also turning against the Trump movement. And then we get the news about Pence, which is devastating for Trump. This is CNN Breaking News. This breaking news, a judge has just ordered former Vice President Mike Pence to testify before a federal grand jury. That is related to the special counsel's January 6th investigation. Let's get straight to our reporter, CNN's Caitlin Pollant. Uh, Caitlin, what more do we know? Well, I'm just learning from a source uh, that Mike Pence, the former vice president, does have to testify to the grand jury investigating January 6th, that federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. Not only does he have to testify, but he will have to testify about conversations he had with Donald Trump himself leading up to January 6th. So that crucial piece of information that the Justice Department has sought and that Pence has sort of divulged uh, in his public speeches and in his book previously, but that the grand jury has not heard about yet. The conversations before January 6th when Donald Trump and Mike Pence were on the phone one-on-one -on -one and Donald Trump apparently was berating him, calling him names, that sort of thing in this criminal investigation. He is going to have to share that. Now, we have confirmed, too, that this ruling came down yesterday in the D.C. District Court from the new chief judge, Jeb Boesberg. He also shot down Donald Trump's arguments that the conversation should be protected because of presidential secrecy, executive privilege. So Trump lost in this court fight. Uh, and Pence does have to testify about some of these things. But Pence also got a little bit of a win himself in that this judge decided that Mike Pence, as the vice president, should have some protection about his around his work on January 6th when he says he was operating as somebody as part of Congress as the vice president, the presiding officer over the Senate. So he doesn't necessarily have to testify about what happened on January 6th itself. But those crucial questions about what happened before that date and what happened between him and Trump, this judge says he is going to have to share that. Now, of course, he could appeal, uh, but this is a major ruling in the special counsel investigation. And, Caitlin, how much of a victory is this for Jack Smith, the special counsel? It's another victory for special counsel Jack Smith. He has gotten... He has locked up testimony from Mike Pence's top aides. He has gotten many, many rulings in his favor where Donald Trump has tried to block answers before this grand jury. I mean, this is a really crucial one because in a lot of ways, Mike Pence is one of the ultimate victims on January 6th. And Drinking warm water before breakfast fixes your digestion and cleans out your bowels in the morning. People are finally repairing That's and restoring wonderful. their guts and digestion. Again, there's a debate, actually, whether Pence wants to testify or not. Some people yeah. suggest that Pence does actually want to testify, both because he just wants to sink Donald Trump because he tried to have him killed, um, also uh, because maybe he believes, to some degree at least, in something assembling a, a, a law and order. Uh, it could also be purely political, that he feels that if Trump goes to prison, that makes the GOP primary more wide open. And while Pence 
pulls significantly behind DeSantis, you know, if Trump is out, anything can happen. I don't think the polling would necessarily be uh, accurate for a non-Trump world. And so all of that shows that he might want to go anyway. And he just needs court defeats as an excuse. He may appeal to the Supreme Court, but that really explains why it's devastating. And this one goes even further. And this is why Trump is especially afraid. Because it's not even just about, like, the, the really technical, itty-bitty, nitty-gritty things. It's simple questions that indict Trump in black and white. Were they quietly operating behind the scenes? That has always seemed very unlikely to me because we saw what happened as soon as DOJ kicked it into gear. Witnesses began to object to subpoenas. Word that they were uh, in the space began to leak out. So that year is something that I think Merrick Garland will ultimately be accountable to all of us for. But, you know, when we say no one is above the law in this country, we are not talking only about the president. And I can't think of a clearer case where people shouldn't be above the law than when we're talking about people who are involved in fomenting an insurrection. We've seen prosecutions of the people who answered that call, answered that summons to come to Washington and overran the Capitol to not scrutinize the behavior of what Charlie, I think, really appropriately calls the architects, seems to me to be a real miscarriage of justice. So I want to be careful to say that just because something appears to be a okay. crime doesn't always mean that prosecutors end up with sufficient evidence to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. To not investigate would be a real abdication of duty here. And this fact that Mike Pence will now testify under subpoena to sort of come full circle might open up new opportunities. We don't know what conversations Pence, who was a creature of the House, might have had with some of his former colleagues or people who were currently in the House. It may be that he has something to add. He certainly has tried to avoid testifying uh, for as long well, and, and well, as, well. in as many ways as possible. I mean, Luke, as Joyce was talking, just thinking, you know, a simple question for Mike Pence. Why didn't you get in the car? Why did you oh, stay? Yeah. Right? I mean, why did you get in the car? Do we know the yeah, answer I mean, to that from him? I, I would love to hear his, his take on that. You know, we've heard uh, Jamie Raskin talk about that a great deal. We've heard Mark Short uh, talk about that. You know, my understanding, according to his aides, was that he did not want the visual of of being rushed out of the Capitol, um, and he was also concerned that they would not finish the job if they if he was taken away from the Capitol, and he wanted to go back in and do his constitutional duty. So there's, you know, he, he definitely did his duty that day, and by staying at the Capitol and denying the Secret Service's um, ask that he be whisked away, he helped ensure the the uh, the transfer of power and American democracy uh, continue as we've known it for uh, for hundreds of years. So, but yeah, I mean, we, he, he should be, you know, he, he will be under oath now. He will have to testify before a judge and before this grand jury. And I think we'll finally, hopefully, get to hear exactly what happened between him and Trump uh, in the buildup so one of the darkest we days already in know. History. He tried to pressure I, and I think to, to your point, throw the election. Why didn't you get in the car? Unlocks everything about premeditation. I've, I worked in the White House for six years. I've never heard of any protectee defying the Secret Service. What, what were you worried about? Where did you think they would take you? Why did you think you wouldn't get the job done? He must have already known 
that at the Capitol and at the White House, a division existed, and he was on one side of it, and Trump was on the other. And I think we're talking about Mike Pence under oath. We always sort of ascribe these maniacal political ambitions, and that's all true. But if you can't lie, as Joyce said, simple questions like, why didn't you get in the car? Could be incredibly incriminating for Donald Trump and his allies. Um, Luke, Joyce, Charlie, thank you so much for starting us off and having this conversation with us. Basil sticks around a little bit longer. When we come There's really no debate here. There's really no you know, question. What Pence knows is unfiltered. He is the center of the very plot. Other people are extremely important. Your Meadows, your Ivanka's, your Jared's. They know a lot. But fundamentally, the goal here was to use Mike Pence as the center of the plot. Without him, it does not work. It does not work. Because the whole thing, and it wasn't going to work anyway because it's unconstitutional. The whole point was Pence had to reject the slate of electors from key swing states and send them back to get new electors and or allow the congressional delegations from those states to vote. And they would be majority Republican. And that would give Trump and Pence the Electoral College and they would remain in power. Of course, none of that is constitutional. Pence was right in saying that. But Pence was involved one-on-one. -on -one. There was no filter. It wasn't like it was being filtered through Pence's staff. This was Trump directly asking Pence directly to do it. And so this afternoon, no coincidences in politics this big, guys, there was real tension outside the courtrooms and offices where Bragg and the grand jury and all of those people are. And it ended with a Trumper pulling a knife and it says here as speculation continues to swirl about an impending indictment of donald trump for manhattan district attorney alvin bragg a woman was arrested outside the manhattan courthouse after she was reportedly involved in a confrontation according to a journalist from fox it says the woman is a trump supporter and she allegedly pulled a knife after getting into a verbal fight with a pedestrian on the sidelines a trump supporter was just arrested across from the street across the street in the courthouse she was holding a sign i stand with trump do you and it got into a verbal fight with a passerby and then pulled a knife, court officers arrested her on the spot. Now, this isn't a direct fight with officials, but she's standing out there, ostensibly a, a peaceful protester, holding a placard and whatnot, as is her right, probably across the street for, maybe because maybe you're not allowed to be right on the courthouse property, I don't know. But she has a knife. I don't think that's a coincidence. She could have been waiting for Bragg or for somebody else to come out of that courthouse, right, or go into it or what have you. Much like with the envelope, just because it ultimately didn't end dangerously doesn't mean there wasn't dangerous intent and doesn't mean it doesn't illustrate how close they were to real tragedy. That envelope could have been full of poisonous substances. You know, the note inside of it could have been more directly connected to that. And this lady could have used that knife, not just in this random confrontation, but against Bragg or anybody else. Donald Trump's insanity as he loses everywhere is not just affecting him, it's affecting its cult, his cult, and therefore it's affecting everybody that has the misfortune to be near one of those cult members. Drinking warm water before bed shrinks a swollen prostate overnight. Oh, Thousands shit. of men are regaining control of their bladder. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so somebody did pull out a knife. Hence ah. by Trump criminals. <laughs> Neo Slaver Trump News. 
How the sons of fallen angels nearly destroyed the world. The Book of Giants. Legends of History. Ooh. In the days before the Great Flood, the Lord God had sent down to Earth the legends of history from his angelic entourage. Watchers, they were called, appropriately named for their divine purpose, set upon by the Lord God himself. And God said to these angels, Go down to Earth, oversee my mortal children, watch them and guide them from a distance, but never interfere with their affairs. And the Lord God entrusted these 200 angels to Simeonza, the most senior of the Russians, who would manage the angelic host on earth and ensure that God's intentions were fulfilled and that his rules would be broken. It was not long before Simeonza's resolve was diminished, as was his fear of God, and in its place came the same overwhelming hunger for the mortal women. <laughs> Altogether, against better judgment, they descended upon the mortal women, and took them to wives, impregnated them with their seed, and shared with them the secrets of heaven. And it was Azazel, a high-ranking watcher, who went a step further, and taught the men of mankind how to fight, taught them how to make weapons, and taught them to wage war on each other. Magic was disseminated from the lips of the Watchers, as was the forbidden knowledge of the heavens and the untold wisdom of the angels. With such an intervention, the world turned to chaos. Wars were waged, rapes were committed, and the appetite of the Watchers overthrew the societal balance that mankind had so carefully cultivated. But this was only the beginning. From the wombs of the women taken by the Watchers burst forth violent, hideous, giant beings. Those that were ravenous and insatiable. They were bulbous creatures with mismatched eyes and angry snarls. Their bodies were heavyset, muscular, some with arms as big as logs and legs as firm as trunks. They were cold to hold, yet none could deny the fire inside. Hateful chaotic, evil. Quickly did they grow with appetites that knew no bounds. They ate the harvest first, then the grass, then the trees, then the forest itself, picking the landscape clean as they fed and fed and fed. And when the landscape was done, they turned to the birds, the cattle, the fish, and even the wild beasts, emptying the land of life so that they might fill their bellies instead. And when the animals were all but vanquished, they turned to mankind itself, snatching them up like snacks on a platter and devouring them without a second thought. Mm. And when the giants ran out of humans for which to terrorize and feast on, they turned on each other, cannibalizing one another. Yes. In a matter of weeks, the humans were scattered, their homes destroyed and their lives ruined. The giants had quickly established dominance upon the earth, but with nothing left to consume and nothing left to lay waste to, some began to develop what could only be described as a conscience. They formed packs of reasonably calm companionship, not unlike the camps formed What's by the thinking? mortal men, long before civilization, tribes if you will, a band of allies knit scram. together in the face of earthly desolation. It was in one particular group that the giants began to exhibit some rather human tendencies. 
where each member began to experience a strange array of emotions. Doubt, guilt, regret, fear. Feelings that were otherwise alien to such violent monsters, and feelings that they could not possibly understand. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? If you're not, keep scrolling. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, I'll show you five things you have to do in order to secure yourself. You become financially free in your lifetime, whether that's working for someone. And feelings that they could not possibly understand. They became troubled by visions, plagued by images in their sleep, and haunted by the prospect that something wasn't quite right. For one giant, known simply as Marwe, these dreams and visions were particularly intense. Brothers, he declared one night by the campfire, we've all been troubled by the things we've seen behind our own eyes, but I fear I've seen something that warrants our concern. What is it? they asked, sharing his concern. I saw myself with a stone tablet that I'd immersed in water, but when I retrieved it, four names were etched into its surface. What names, they asked, gripped by his story. I did not recognize them, Maui sighed, as he listed off their names. Noah, Shem, Jack, Pan. The giants looked to each other, hoping at least one amongst them had the answers. But like Maui, they too could not recall such names. Do you think it is a bad omen for us? They asked, sheepishly for once, a sight that none of them were used to seeing in each other. Marwe lowered his head. I think it's so. Another giant made himself known as he stood before the fire, and with his rise, the others seemed to shy away. For he was named Oya, and along with his brother Haya, they were the sons of the Watcher Sumyaza, the angel who had led their fathers down to earth. Who told you how to interpret this dream? Oya shot at Marwe. There was an uncomfortable pause before Maui stood up. It was my father, Marakel. Oya snarled at that, his twin brother lurking behind him, just as bitter. At least Marakel had the decency to check up on his offspring. Many of the other angels, including Oya and Haya's father, had fled the moment they sprang forth from their mothers. All nonsense, Oya barked at them, his brother Haya echoing his sentiment. You dream of tablets with names appearing and disappearing. I dreamt of a virgin woman who gave birth to a son. Such wonders we have all seen in our dreams. Yet in the end, it means nothing. Nothing. Haya sidled up beside his brother, as if it needed saying twice. But we have seen our own destruction, some of the giants wailed. We have seen ourselves perish. We have seen ourselves overcome. And we have seen ourselves judged into oblivion. Don't you see? Oya shot them all a glance. The sort of glance that commanded their attention. These visions aren't for us. They're for Azazel, the watcher who taught the men how to fight, who gave them weapons and incited war amongst them. All of these judgments are for him, not us. Why would we suffer when we did not even ask to be born? No, these sentences that you envision are for our fathers, not for us. For our fathers. Haya seconded with a thump, as his fist landed in his palm. I remain uncertain, Marwe admitted. Though he wished to believe in Oya's words, it almost seemed too good to be true. Could they really be exempt from the consequences of what they had all contributed to? 
Was it really their fathers who would pay the price for their actions? And if it was, why did that feel so wrong? Here, Oya pointed at one of the giants, one who sat furthest from the fire. One side of him cast orange by the flames, and the other side sheathed in the darkness. Ask Gilgamesh what he thinks. And Gilgamesh sat there, working his mouth, almost like there was something stuck in there that he didn't quite like the taste of. You all know of my strength, he started, dark eyes fixed in the fire, like it always was. You've seen me vanquish the strongest of the mortals with no more than a punch. But the ones in the heavens, they are not so easy to slay. The one who presides over the heavenly realm, all the realms is God. Him I cannot slay. Oa rolled his eyes. No one asked you to fight him. Just tell Marwe what you think of the visions we've been having. Gilgamesh looked up at Oya then, eyes poised and lip curling with menace. For a moment, Marwe thought there would be a brawl, and they'd have to spend the rest of the evening separating these two. But instead, Gilgamesh turned to look up at him, and the grave look in his face turned to one of somber defeat. The time of the ravenous wild beast has come to an end, he said, with a low rumbling in his throat as the time of the wild man that I am known. So you think we're going to die as well now, do you? Oya shook his head, scoffing to himself. Listen to how foolish you all sound. Here, I'll tell you another dream I had to make it clear that these dreams are not to be taken seriously. I had a dream that a tree was uprooted, except for three of its roots. Beings came down from heaven and took all the other roots up to the skies. But these three roots were left behind. What do you make of this? Are we the three roots? One of the giants asked, trembling. Are we going to get left behind? Another asked, just as uncertain. No. Oya made a fist and held it up to all of them. If anything, the roots are the mortal men. The temporal rulers of this realm who have wronged the earth and each other long before we even arrived. Remember, they are the ones who fell for Azazel's deceptions, not us. Not us, came higher again, asserting his brother's words and towering over the others, as if it was a whole Still, the other giants seemed mollified mm -hmm. by Oya's words, some letting out sighs of relief, others lowering their shoulders and easing back into their seats as if the matter was settled. Some were laughing to themselves now, poking fun at each other for worrying even though they all shared the same anxiety just moments ago. For Marwe, though, he remained on the edge of his seat, fighting back the trembling of his lips as he pondered on the vision. Through the flames of the fire, he caught the grave look of the giant Gilgamesh, and couldn't help but feel utterly helpless. That same night, the giants had more dreams and visions that reignited their anxiety. Some awoke with a start, drenched in a coat of sweat. Others were screaming, striking at the air as they struggled up to their feet. Discord gripped the camp that night, and just like previous nights, many of the giants remained awake, too afraid to return to slumber unless their dreams found them. Again, Oya flapped his hands around as close as there could be, though Marwe sensed he too had seen something in his dreams. We went through this already, did we not? These things you are seeing are not meant for us. Not meant for us, Paya meandered behind him, 
rubbing the sleep from his eyes. But, but, but the garden, one of the giants was blubbering. The garden, it was real. Garden. Oh yeah, snapped. What are you speaking of? The garden, another giant said, tears strolling from his eyes as he stared about in shock. The garden. Marway had seen it too, of course. A lustrous garden more beautiful than the ones mankind had tended to, stretched out as far as the eye could see. There in this green paradise were two hundred trees that stood uniformly, tended to by angels that watered them. But as peaceful as this image was, it changed for the worse in the mere blink of an eye. Soon the garden was on fire, the trees were consumed in an inferno, and all that was left of the green space was a red monstrosity. Those trees are obviously our fathers, Oya was saying. Don't you see? There were two hundred of them, just like there were two hundred watchers. So you dreamt it too, Marway couldn't help himself. Oya gritted his teeth. Didn't much like being in the wrong. Liked it even less when it was in front of everyone else. What is it I have to say to you that will make you realise that these dreams aren't for us? Oya said out loud for everyone, but his gaze was reserved for Marway. What is it I have to do? Speak the truth. There was silence for a moment. The sort of silence that was always a prelude to something much bigger. The sort of silence that promised an outburst from Oya. The sort of silence that had Marway clenching everything he had. But then it was diffused by the squeak of a giant somewhere amongst them. We should ask Enoch. Oya's head turned on him so fast that Marway was sure he heard something click in his neck. You value the word of this scribe over me, Oya started. It wasn't exactly a question, but more of a way to get the speaker to take back what he had said before things got ugly. He is wise, came another voice, much to Oya's surprise whose shoulders now lost a bit of their height as others began to talk. Enoch will know what to say, said someone else. He can understand the things that haunt us, came another. We should seek out Enoch immediately. Soon, a chorus of Enoch's name broke out amongst the giants, hushed at first, but then louder, until the whole pack were alive with conversation, where they otherwise might have been sleeping. <laughs> Enough! Oyar bellowed over them driving them back into instant silence. Enough! Haya followed lamely behind, and gave a self-assured nod, as if congratulating himself for the effort. Oya started pacing around the campfire, in that way only he could, stamping his big feet into the dirt as deliberately as he could, as if these were words that needed hearing. Sometimes, Marway thought he did it just to make sure everyone was listening. So you want this mortal Enoch to interpret these dreams, do you? He swaggered about, swinging his head like an axe, this way and that. You trust his word over mine, do you? Will his words settle your stomachs more than mine will, will it? There was no reply, just the awkward, unsettled faces of a dozen giants, who weren't sure whether to say yes and get what they wanted, or no to keep Oya from getting mad. But Marway knew something had to be done lest they be plagued by visions for the rest of their days. If it truly was a bad omen for them, he wanted to know so as to face it head on, not cower from the potentiality of it. As far as he knew, Enoch was a wise man, one who convened with the Almighty God himself, who created the world and the mortals, who created their mothers and their fathers, 
who created everything, arguably even them. I will find Enoch, Maui stood up, and found Oya's gaze on him sooner than he would have liked. You? Oya spat, caught spit between his teeth, and had to wipe it from his bulbous lips. Why? Maui shrugged, trying to make it look like he wasn't fussed either way. Someone has to put an end to this madness, and if Enoch can determine the visions we see, then at least we'll know for sure. Oya scowled at him, looked around at the others for support, and realised it wasn't coming. He deflated a slight. Even Haya had taken a step back, feigning interest in the dirt under his fingernails. Fine, Oya mumbled and turned away. Go see your precious Enoch. This interview left me speechless. The hell is this? It's bigger than natural selection and the theory of relativity. Uh, Oya mumbled and turned away. Go see your precious Enoch. Right, let's see. Um, other comments. I remember finding out about the angle of fallen angles. The angel of fallen angels and their influence on man roughly over a year ago. It blew me away that it was never taught to me in church. I don't really is a shame whatever it'd be that keeps information like this away from Christians and non-believers. It certainly isn't of God. Better narration, visuals, and pacing than several professionally produced TV programs and streaming shows out there. Incredible, thanks. Book of Enoch that was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls is quite long. It goes in depth about what Enoch saw when the angel took him on a sightseeing tour, but it also tells a bit more about what the Watcher angels and their children did. The Watchers did have children with human women, but they and their offspring also sinned against the sea life, the mammals, Insects and even the plant life. They created many monsters by manipulating genetics. Of course, it does not mention the word genetics, but it does tell how they made these awful perversions of the perfection that had once been. This may be why they find giant dinosaurs, bones, and fossils of giant plants and insects. Fossils can only be created under very specific conditions. Like a flood that caused mud to move quickly over the dead bodies, these fallen ones had over 500 years before the judgment came. 500 years to mess with all the living things of the planet. Perhaps this is why people always question why God made pesky insects, etc., and why the earth is so imperfect. It was perfect at one time. The judgment was not just a flood. It says in Genesis that the foundations of the earth broke open. How? Don't know. It could have been caused by an asteroid hitting the planet. That it caused earthquakes, magnetic pull shift. We didn't. We do not get all the details. We do know that this genetic manipulation took place before and after the Great Cataclysm. Between this video and your other apocryphal works, your ongoing Genesis analysis and your angel demon breakdowns, I'm in awe with all of your quality content. Your videos are made with a lot of care. Brilliantly done. Watch with my 10 and 8 year old boys. Thank you so much. That's precious little material in this narrative and far less so that is so well produced. Much gratitude. Enoch bossing around the giants is the energy I'm bringing this, this year. <laughs> Reading the book of Enoch 17 years ago greatly helped me to be born again. I'm so happy you are presenting the book of giants in your exciting format. Cool, okay. Um...